There's 162 games of the baseball season and winter comes along just to end it. So the annual problem for a baseball fan is finding a good way to watch it. Like maybe going to the park or watching on TV or just catching the highlights. Watching Donaldson strike out again or seeing Judge hit 62 bombs. Bang! Bogart's leaving town, Kike making plays or Kenley closing the door. Debating with your friends, making dumb bets, or complaining about the umps again. As you can tell, there's a whole lot of stuff to hear before winter comes again. Let's go, y'all. So chill with us, because Gamby and Beal are going to say it all. So chill with us, because Gamby and Beal are going to say it all. Man, Fred, Gamby and Beal made a podcast. Hello and welcome back to season two of the Yank Your Socks Off podcast, a podcast produced by two best friends who despise each other's baseball teams, but love each other anyways. We hope you enjoy. Thank you for tuning in now to the show. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Yank Your Socks Off podcast. I'm one of your hosts, the Yankees fan of this podcast. My name is Andrew Gambardell III and joining me as always is my best friend and co-host, Mr. Matthew David Beal. Beal, how you doing today? Pretty good, Gamby. Pretty good. Um, just, just living life. That sounds good. Now we're also yeah. going to be welcoming on our most frequent guest on this show, Mr. William Gentry Dean. Um, I there I'll give him a proper introduction. Mr. Will Dean um is about to be a Texas A&M alum. So congrats William. Uh, I couldn't be prouder. I I feel like I've been kind of like a I mean you already have two big brothers, but I feel like I've been a third big brother to you and I'm I am very proud of you and and all that you've been able to accomplish and all you're yet, yet to accomplish. But thank you for coming on the show today. Um, I'm sure you're excited to talk a little bit about Aggie football and your new head coach. Um, well, yeah, how are you yeah. feeling today? Thank you. And uh, yeah, we call ourselves former students, not alumni. Um, oh, but, uh, wow. That's elite. Elite. But um, no, it's uh, it's good to be on. Yeah, almost done. I'm like the Aaron Rodgers, I guess, to this podcast. You know, like the Pat McAfee, I'm always on. You know, just the, the person you need for reliable info. But yeah, when uh, being an Aggie comes with a lot of goods and a lot of disappointments, one of those disappointments being our football team um, the last four years. So, yeah, we can get into that. But Yeah, I, I, I just want to start it off by saying, by asking you, um, who do you think you are? And, and what, I, what I mean by that, like, who does Texas A&M think they are? When do you even have a national championship? When yeah, is the last we time have, we have we have a couple. Nineteen thirty nine actually oh, was the last God. one pre World War Two. Uh, yep. <laughs> fun fact: Texas A&M sent more officers into World War Two than the Naval Academy and West Point combined. So we were wow. we were cooking. Didn't, that is a cool cool fact, but it has nothing to do with your football program. <laughs> no. So yeah, I think our identity has been. I think it's tough because I mean, Andrew, I wish you you can come here and visit i'm sure um just from being at south carolina and a&m it's a much different vibe of terms of fan bases like we truly have an incredible like love for the team i mean we were <clears throat> we lost two ranked games in a row and then we sold out 100 and i think it was one hundred and three thousand 
for Mississippi State in a day game or a night game. So, like, we have an incredible fan base. And I think what comes with that is, I mean, you're either loved or you're hated. Um, we have examples of that, like, Max Johnson plays good, he's loved. He plays bad, he's hated. Um, he Calzado wins out against Alabama. He's on every video A&M the last, next two years. When he loses, he transfers because he gets ridiculed so much. Um, so I think it's it's a lot of responsibility. Um, definitely, I think in terms of identity, we definitely think we're a championship caliber program, which might hurt sometimes with expectations. But in terms of funding, we have the number one NIL funding program in the country. We have the most uh, donors, highest donor money incoming. So I think that's what drives it is we spend so much money and we put so much into the program and we get seven and five, five and seven. That doesn't really help. So you're saying that necessarily paying for the, for the, for the quote unquote best team doesn't work. I mean, where this is a baseball broadcast predominantly, and we saw it with the Mets biggest payroll doesn't always amount to winning football or winning baseball or winning anything in sports because one, you have to have a good coach in place and you have to have a good culture in place, especially in that locker room. And especially with football with, with, I mean, obviously in college, it's, it's a bigger than a 56 man roster like the NFL, but in college, I feel like the coach and the culture that he brings is huge into the success of a program, um, both long-term and short-term. Yeah. I'll go into that a little bit just from having insight of the team. I mean, I, I was here for four years. I know a couple of the players, year our five and seven year when we had the number one class in the country they're all freshmen they said the culture and locker room was atrocious i mean absolutely garbage um a lot of these a lot of the five stars were coming in thinking like i'm the man i'm the man um you know wanting to get start time right away at a high-end program and i think that's what differs from like an a&m versus an alabama is where our program is generally new to getting a top recruiting class and new to getting tons of five stars over and over again and I think when you're a program like Bama where that's established and you know you're going there, you kind of have that understanding of, hey, I'm going to probably sit behind a couple guys before I can get my NFL, you know, caliber season. You know, like Suggs did. Suggs sat behind, I think, Mac, Mac Jones, and then Tua sat behind him. Um, I feel like a lot of the people who were coming to A&M, new program, we got a ton of money. Kind of when NIL came out, we blew up because we have that donor backing. And I, and. I know that firsthand from just experiencing the Aggie Network that when that happened, a lot of people came in and were like, hey, I should start right away. And I think the coach wasn't the right pick for that. I don't think Jimbo was ready for that. Um, good recruiter, you can obviously tell, but it helps when you have unlimited resources and kind of recruiting. But at the same time, I think it's a uh, – yeah, I think it's just a problem. Uh Okay. Well, let's let's move on from the past and look to the future. Now, Mike Elko, uh, Coach Elko, uh, new Texas A&M coach, coming over from Duke, who in two seasons at Duke did pretty well. I mean, for Duke football, he put him on the map. Um, Duke football does not have any sort of history with, with football in their program, and, and Elko kind of put him on their map. So I think this is a good hire. I think he's a good coach. Um I don't know if he gets you to the promised land. It's it's very hard to make you a national contender. But with the 12-team playoff coming in next year, do you expect, as a Texas A&M fan, do you expect, and 
What'd you say? Former student? You're not an alumni? Yeah, oh, former student. student. It's our alumni association. We call us the Association of Former Students is our name. That's the dumbest thing I've ever You're heard. not a former Aggie is why. You're, always... you're, just, you're just trying to be different than everybody else. Is, that, is, it's you're trying way too true. hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but do you think this team has a chance? I mean, maybe not right away, but in the first two or three years to make the 12 team playoff. I think that's um, so I'll just go back a few steps. In my opinion, I think we should have gave Jimbo one more year with a full roster, good quarterback, you know, healthy quarterback. Connor Wigman got hurt versus Auburn this year. And I think if you don't make a 12 man team playoff with the best recruiting class in the country with no one leaving, then you deserve to get fired. So I think we did fire him a little bit early, but I understand why. Just from, you know, I've met the AD a couple times and I watched all the press conferences and I understand why. Um, it, the, the hiring process was incredibly horrible. I mean, leaked information left and right. You know, Mark Stoops being named head coach at night at one in the morning and then we wake up at 6 a.m. and he has a tweet saying he's at Kentucky. Um, I know some of that information and I've, I've talked to people who, who work in those processes who have actually worked in like collegiate athletics. And they're like, sometimes agents put out names just so that they get their people on the board and they release lies on purpose. So it's kind of super hard to, in, in modern age era to control um, closet conversations because you're trying to bid for money and get the highest. But in terms of the 12 man team playoff, I think it's going to depend on how the committee, which we obviously see is garbage committee is horrible um, with leaving out a 13 and 0 team, but that's a different conversation. And, but I think we should, if within the next two years, the top 12 teams in the country, I think this year we're going to come in preseason top 20. Um, there's no reason we shouldn't. If we keep at least 80% of our roster, we should be preseason top 20. Hmm. And I think it depends though, if, if they're going off top 12, is it going to be like, Hey, we put in more liberties in JMU into the 10 and 11, 12 seeds, or is it going to be, the normal selection like they're doing where it is the top 12 teams in the country. Well, so. we can, we can look into this year's selection. Uh, Beal, Beal and I were together this weekend. I, I got the chance to visit him on my way back from a work trip. Um, and we were kind of discussing all the scenarios and the craziest scenario did happen. Beal. The, the craziest Bama, scenario happened. Bama wins and Florida State still went undefeated, and they decide to keep Florida State out. Beal, do you think – I mean, both Beal and, and Dill uh, – we'll go to Beal first. But, Beal, do you think they made the right decision? And if you don't, what do you think they should have done instead? You know, I mean, as we discussed, it's obviously a very difficult decision. And I feel like, you know, after Bama beats Georgia, the by far – you know, I think most people recognize them as the best team in the country going into the championship games. After Bama beat them, it's it's really hard to um, leave them out. And honestly, it, it comes down to whether or not, um, uh, for me, I, I never really saw Florida State being in unless Georgia won. Um, and maybe even still they find themselves out of the top four. Um, for the same reason that I think they ended up being out, and that's just simply because um, talent-wise, they don't compare to the other four teams ahead of them. And you know, despite their record, I, I felt like you know there were four teams that were significantly better than Florida State. Just you know, going through the lineup and and understanding how good these top four teams are. So 
I mean, honestly, I think I, I really do think either way, whether or not Georgia or Alabama won, I, I think FSU still finds themselves out of the top four. Um, and I just felt like after Alabama beat Georgia, you have to let Alabama in. And, and I mean, it's not letting them in. Like, they obviously earned their way there, but um, it, it would feel wrong to not have them in. And I, I know a lot of people feel very, uh, you know, hurt by – Florida State not being in, but I mean, quite simply, the ACC just does not stack up to conferences like the SEC. So um, I, I think that is what it came down to is strength of schedule. And uh, honestly, I, I think they made the right decision for this 14 playoff. And um, I mean, it's it's by far the tougher decision uh, because of the backlash you can get from media and from uh, you know people within the a- ACC fans of Florida State, but. Um, just, I, I don't know. I, I do think the best four teams by the end of the year ended up in the, the playoffs um, besides Georgia, but it's it's tough to stop well, the playoffs when you lose your championship game. I will add, they did place Florida State. They left Florida State out, and in their bowl game, they got them playing in the Orange Bowl against Georgia. So yeah, you that's got the, brutal. The two teams. Absolutely brutal and for Florida the, State. They set it up so that, you know, Alabama. You know, people are arguing whether or not Alabama should have been in and if there's SEC bias. Now, the team that lost to Alabama-Georgia is also pissed. Number one in the country, hadn't lost the game in, in over two years. And now they get a chance to unleash their revenge or on the committee or whatever onto Florida State. And, and I just think Georgia is going to steamroll steamroll them. I, I, it, uh, just- I, I'm, with, I'm with you, Gamby. Uh, there's – I, I'm with I'm with you, Beal. Like I think it is criminal to leave a 13-0 team out because it's like, what else can you do, right? Like unless they won every game by 30, I still don't see them getting in the playoff. Per, um, maybe they could have done a better, couple better things of winning, you know, by a they larger margin. They could have kept their starting quarterback healthy. If he was healthy, they're in. Yeah, a I, I, yeah, without a doubt. And I think that's the hardest thing is is they kind of got a freebie. The committee, it's like, oh, he's hurt. Um, and they put that in their criteria, like literally that was released to ESPN. Um, I think in that sense, I think the 14 playoff has always been the dumbest thing ever um, in college football. I mean, there's significantly, I think, more than four teams at the end of every year who can win the championship. I think you give Oregon a shot in a playoff game, Oregon can probably make a deep run. You give, um, you give Georgia a shot. I mean, wh- I don't think Georgia loses again the rest of the year. I think they're going to beat FSU by 40. Like you said, um, I think it's going to be a steamroll, and then everyone's going to be like, "Well, FSU, look at them. You know, see, they were going to get beat anyway." But there is also a little difference of playing in an Orange Bowl versus, I think, playing in the uh, you know semifinal game. Ohio State arguably can make a deep run. I mean, there were seven to eight teams I think this year who deserved to be in the playoff, um, which I think is dumb anyway. Like, I hate. One thing I hate every year is how the Michigan-Ohio State game is pretty much who gets in the playoff. Like, there's no there's no recovering from that. It's at the end of the year. It's right I dis- week. I disagree with you there. I think it just brings so much more animosity and fight into that game. Because I know next year, the Big Ten is doing away with divisions. They're adding four more teams. Now, Michigan-Ohio State will p- still be played the last week of the year just to carry on the rivalry. But then the next week they get they can also those two teams can match up in the Big Ten championship. I, I hate that. Like them playing back to back. I like how much that game means because it it is arguably the best 
rivalry in all of college football. And it just means so much more when you have that much more riding on the game. And I think the past five years of watching that game, every single game has been epic down to the finish and some of the best football games ever. So I think they've gotten the, the best product out of that. I think it's a good game at the same time. I think wherever you put the game is a huge advantage. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, that's a huge advantage you're putting on a team. So you're pretty much riding a whole team. You know, remember, these kids are in the middle of school during this this time frame, right? Like, you're, it's not like it's an end of postseason, post, post everything. You're just worrying about football. I mean, you're riding a whole game off of the team has to travel still. They still have to do everything. I mean, so I think you're really putting a college football playoff game at the end of the year. Um, I think for different rivalries, it's it's fine. I mean, next year, Texas plays Texas A&M at home in Kyle Field. I think us playing the game in Kyle Field gives us a giant advantage. Um, but I think at the same time, uh, I kind of agree with you. There, it's kind of like the level of Duke-UNC, where no matter where you play the game, you can play it in the backyard court. Like, the game's going to be good no matter what. I mean, unranked versus number one doesn't matter. Like, those games just mean more. Um, and I like them. I think that's why Army Navy is so good, Ohio State, Michigan, Red Rover rivalry, Texas, Texas A&M. So, yeah, um, Auburn and yeah. Alabama as seen yeah. by this year as well. Yeah, but I would think, again, what's your thought on this? I'm saying with the SEC getting arguably insanely harder again next year, do you see a lot of nine and three teams making the top 12 still? I, I think there will be a, a three three win team, and especially from the SEC, because there's no doubt there is an SEC bias. I mean, we all went to SEC schools, obviously, with Beal and I going to USC and, and you going to Texas A&M. So we're going to have inherent bias as well. But it is the best conference, and it will continue to be because adding Texas and Oklahoma only makes us that much better. Um, I think without a doubt each year, I would be shocked if there isn't at least two SEC teams in that top 12 every single year. I, I think that's a guarantee. Um, and I think there's also going to be two Big Ten teams at least, at least maybe even three a piece because both of those leagues are getting so much bigger. The Pac 12's going away. So the big, the Power Five conference really goes down to a Power Two and then another two with the ACC and the Big 12, I guess would be. 2A and 2B with the SEC and Big Ten being 1A and 1B. Um, So I I think that's at least half of your teams right there from those four conferences. Probably 75% of your teams right there. And then with your question earlier, more JMU's liberties, if you're not in those power four, you're going to have to – you're still going to have to go undefeated. No, I agree. I'm saying do you think they're going to throw all the undefeated teams in every year now because they have an excuse to I think uh, you mean an excuse to keep them out because of what no, they no, did to keep Florida them State. in. Like I think, like if you got you know, say JMU, I I think know, it'll like be you're fun. JMU over Al, like you know, say say A and M goes nine and three next year, right? They lose to Alabama, they lose to uh, say Notre Dame, and they lose to LSU. You're gonna put you're gonna put a but they win every other game where they're playing Texas, they're playing up, you know, extremely hard schedule. And you're going to put in JMU who played uh, Old Dominion. Like, no, I, I think you bring in one not non power five every year. I, I think it's great for those fan bases and those student athletes for an opportunity. I, I think Florida State got robbed. I'm on the other, I, I think the committee put the best four teams in right now 
I think they did the best job at putting the best four teams in. But I think they robbed Florida State in those kids. I know that quarterbacks hurt. But if a team is undefeated and not in those big four conferences next year, they will be in the in the in the top 12 unless their starting stud quarterback is hurt. It, then like if he, unless he has a season ending injury or, you know, maybe one of their other really high impact players, best play like a stud wideout or something is, is down for this season. And he goes out with two weeks left in the season. That would be the only way for me, for them to be kept out yeah, at that uh, point. I think all it solidifies, right. Is this 14 playoff is that college football is behind I think every other sport does it fine. Basketball, pretty much near perfect. Some years they snub sub teams who are really close, but usually you can have a good argument why they didn't make it. Um, you know, baseball, I think they do that very, very good with the regionals, super regionals. You have to prove yourself, home, games at home. Um, I think football is behind, but I like, I'll ask you a question. What's your, thought, what's your thoughts on these home foot? I think it's you can get a home game for the playoffs. Yeah, Bill. Bill, why don't you answer this question? Um, I I mean, I think home atmosphere in college sports is probably one of the most like electric atmospheres, at least that I have ever been to. Couldn't agree with um, you more. I agree. And I I think that it's only going to benefit college football if you have home environments uh, during the playoffs. Obviously, sucks for the other team, but is just absolutely a win for college football because of the environment it creates the revenue it drives and um i I just i don't think you can see a loss for college football if you uh influence home games for you know bowl games i I agree because baseballs we have home games right we had we hosted a&m has hosted the regional two years in a row now we've hosted the super regional two years ago and like i just know i mean that's one thing I think like what shows our fan base off so much and probably South Carolina like is like, I don't think I've been to an A&M basketball game in the last three years, besides when we lost to Kentucky, when they were ranked one where we've lost at home. And that's like the same thing for, for A&M football. Like we usually win a lot of our, every game that's at home, we're at least in Alabama. We're losing by three. We go play Alabama on the road. We lose by 30. So it's I feel like the home atmosphere in college sports is absolutely um like it, it honestly it 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 can make your team win or lose. Yeah, um, and just I mean imagine this like the after you know the first four teams get a bye which is huge. I mean these college students getting getting a couple weeks off versus these other teams that are going to have to play that opening week. But coming off of that you get your top 8 or you have one upset and you have 12 you have 12 seeded liberty knocking off you know five seeded oregon at oregon and oregon fans are just stunned i i can just imagine all of the memes popping up with that game and then the next week you have that same liberty team with the opportunity to go into number 1 alabama and shock the world now they won't they most likely won't but i i just think it's going to lead to so so many more epic finishes and epic moments in college football. And I love the 12 team playoff. I think you're right. I think the state, I think you couldn't have hit the, the nail on the head any better when you said that every other sport in college, especially baseball and basketball 
with their postseasons, March Madness is the best postseason in all of sports around the world. It is the best, without a doubt. Besides and the World Cup, be- I would say besides the World Cup. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. But besides the World Cup, which happens only every four years, March Mar- March Madness happens every year, and it is incredible every single year because it's one and done and chaos ensues every year. I think with 12 teams, more chaos ensues, more teams get an opportunity. And and like this year, like Oregon loses two close games to Washington, but they looked like they dominated everybody else. Maybe Washington was just their kryptonite. And a 12-team playoff, they still get, get an opportunity. They probably get to host a, a playoff game, and then they get the opportunity to maybe knock off Washington um, in that second round after Washington gets a bye, I would love to see that third game. Um, and I would have loved to see this year LSU sneak in as a 12 seed with Jaden Daniels. Nobody wants to play him. He's going to be the Heisman. So, and I just loved watching him play. So we get to see more football. Yeah, sign me up. I mean, yeah. hell yeah. No, I agree. How, did you guys know how it works? Is it you play home games until the – semis or how does that work home games until the semis and then it's neutral field from there but is it bowl games from there like if you make the 12 man and you lose can you get a bowl game or is it bowl game just just everyone else i i i don't think i think bowl games are just everybody else personally that's what i think they should do because obviously the the orange bowl is going to be what a 13 seed versus a 14 seed at that point yeah, may, maybe, or they make the Orange Bowl one of the top 12 games. They just decide yeah. we're going to sponsor this game and and throw a bunch of oranges at the winner. <laughs> in yeah, Tropicana. Texas A&M, yeah. Orange Bowl champions, 2020. Yeah, in like the the 7v8 game. Like, I mean, it, it doesn't it, – or the 8v9 game in that scenario. But it, it doesn't really matter. It, we get more football, which is incredible. And I, I can't wait for next season because I think we were rot- – this was the best year with the most parity. And honestly, I think there's going to be more parity continuing on because we have NIL. We have the transfer pool, which is yeah, we just which lost is insane, yeah. which is insane every year. There's so many players changing teams. I think it brings more parity, and I think it gives more programs opportunities to have ex- exemplary years. Like a Missouri this, this, this year, Missouri wins 10 games – I don't think anybody in the top 12 right now wants to play Missouri with the, with the football they were playing down the stretch. Not a single team in the nation wants to play number nine Missouri. I, I, have, two, I have two things, Gamby. Two questions real quick, though. Yeah. Um, I, I think – I think well, one comment. I think the best thing that comes out of this 12-team playoff is that teams will play harder the whole year. I think right. that's one thing is because A&M specifically, I feel like – what our biggest kryptonite, getting back to the first question you asked, is every year we get ranked top six. I think two years in a row we got ranked top six in the country preseason. And as soon as we lost our first game, we played like a JV football team, like the rest of the year. And we then we won two big games at the end of the year. We got all the hype back. We got preseason ranked again, and then it happened again. I think now a lot of teams can lose a game early or lose two games early and even be like, we can still make it. And I think that's going to make programs so much so much more yeah i think it's gonna i think it's gonna make games week in week out more competitive and and that's only that's only good for the sport and i mean a lot of these players sit out the bowl games anyways if you're in a top 12 top 12 game not most of these guys are not going to sit pretty much 99 percent of those players unless they're hurt obviously are going to play in those games and not going to rest for the draft 
yeah, they're going to play because they have a chance to win a national championship. So I think it's it's wonderful for the sport. It's going to make all these schools infinitely more money, especially if you get to host a home playoff game. I mean, you're going to make boatloads, of probably yeah. two times the amount you do for a home regular season yeah, game. Question, so, though, Gamby, question, though. Um, I'll get to that. I think one downside, I hope they don't do it, is I hope they don't charge extra for postseason games like they do in baseball and other sports. They make you buy tickets and the students get screwed over. That's one comment. But I think – I mean, I want to get your thoughts on the, N- the NIL. I think there's a lot of – problems with it i know you said it gives a lot of other teams advantages but at the same time i feel like you lose some aspect of college football um hugely with the nil because a lot of people just are looking for money and looking to grab and my belief in the nil is i think people should get money after the season's over or following their arrival to a college i don't think you should get any before you actually apply at a high school i think you should have to earn it yeah bill do you want to share your your view on this first and then, and then I'll give you my insight as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like I, I, I can see both sides for sure, but I, I kind of uh, reside in the boat that, like, before NIL started, I, I will be uh, completely honest. I, I was not sold on it. I, I felt like you know these players were getting a free education and kind of got everything they needed to in college and. Uh, a lot of them would get paid a lot of money outside of college and in the NFL. But um, from a recruiting standpoint, I think it definitely helps to put a lot of colleges on the same level um, it, with NIL deals and promising money, like you said, well, before uh, committing or before enrolling at the school, um, you know, there's definitely still some under the table stuff, but it, I, I think has helped level the playing field, at least from a standpoint of, you know, Alabama and Georgia and, um, you know, big schools like that, Texas, USC, like they aren't the ones, you know, given, they aren't the only ones given, you know, the $200,000 car to a high school student. Now every team has an ability to, to give out these deals. And um, South Carolina generates a lot of revenue, but, you know, didn't have the, illegal booster program that a lot of schools did before the NIL, but um, definitely have a ton of local businesses that have just sunk money into the program and uh, provided uh, and allowed South Carolina to get players like Spencer Rattler and Trey Knox and um, Mario Anderson and all the guys who helped us out this year. So personally, I like it because I mean, it has helped out South Carolina who historically has not like been one of the top recruiting programs and and recently has done a really good job in the transfer portal um and getting some some higher up recruits recently and um five-star recruits in the last couple years so i i personally feel like it has leveled the playing field but at the same time i think one negative aspect of it is like how willing and quick players are to uh, move on from the school that they committed to. And with the transfer portal and having immediate eligibility, it, it is kind of tough to see guys go. Um, and I mean, it, we've had several Gamecocks that just kind of get up and leave, including Marshawn Lloyd that I, I feel like before the transfer transfer portal was a thing. Um, I, I felt like we would have had Lloyd for 
all three years he played in college. So yeah, I, I, I mean, so, that definitely is a negative. I don't want to interrupt, but I have one thing that I think sold me on why NIL should be changed. I think guys like, like yeah, Manziel, Zion Williamson, I mean, they would have sold $100 million of the jerseys in college, right? I think they should get their money. That's their name on the back of the jersey. Fine. The college takes a percentage because they're supplying the actual, you know, I guess supplying the platform for them to do well. But I think one thing that sold me was like you had a guy commit to a college and he played two minutes. You got a million dollars to go there, plays two minutes and he transfers. You're never getting that money back. There is no signed contract for NIL. Like you, you can take all your stuff. You can get all the things. You can go to the school for, you know, one seat, like, you know, a third of the season and then transfer mid-year. And yeah. like there's I feel like NIL can be really, really healthy if they just put some regulations on it. And right now I think it's just getting abused. And my school is probably one of the most, you know, abusing the system programs in the country. You know, and we're proud of that because we're just following the rules they gave us. Yeah. I yeah, I I understand that and I mean I kind of agree to a certain extent, but like you also gotta pay for that player coming off the market essentially. So like yeah, you might pay somebody a million dollars and they might leave halfway through the season, but, you know, they did decide to come to the school. And so, like, you kind of do have to continue selling. So, I mean, if you aren't able to have the sales pitch to keep that guy around, then, like, it's kind of your million that you lost, not his million that he stole. Um, yeah, but at the same time, I, I you know. look at a school like, you know, say Liberty, they save up $5 million to get a five-star, right? That's their only five-star. The dude goes there and he realizes, wow, I should probably go to Alabama. Like, they just drop all their money to one player from the transfer. Yeah, yeah. I get that. I guess that's just, like, the the risk that, you know, you take as a smaller school and it, assuming that it's easy for players to transfer. I don't know. It, it makes me think of, like, at, like, when you're buying a house, you put money into it even though you might back out or the seller might back out, and it's just money that you have to pay to take the house off the market. I feel like it's the same kind of thing, like, it's money that you got to give up front to take that player off the market and um, kind of not allow him to continue talking to other schools for that time period and, you know, have him enroll at your school. But there's some um, people who do commit and they decommit. So I think it's all over yeah, the place. But yeah. I, 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 yeah. But but I, I, I agree with you. There are. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you're, you're in and out. You talk college football, but. Um, yeah, the NIL has definitely proposed a new wrinkle and, and coaches like Dabo Sweeney um, haven't adapted to it yet and, and they've suffered. So it's it's definitely still um, still soaking into the, to the college football landscape. But I like Will, Dabo suffer. Will, thank you for coming on again. Uh, we you are our most reliable and uh, best best guess <laughs> we've we've got. Um, yeah. Uh, well, thank I you again for to coming you guys, on. Uh, joining the Kaplan Fantasy League next year. So, yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> thank you for joining us, Will. <laughs> thank Have you, Will. Yeah. See ya. See ya. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see both sides of the argument. I, I think it screws over a lot of programs, but at the same time, like you're you're kind of you're putting that money forward and making an investment, and if it doesn't pan out, then it's a bad investment. Um, That's true. You still yeah. gotta, you still gotta work that sales. Pitch. You make a, you make a great point because it's, it's like investing in a risky stock. It's like high risk, high reward, and it's yeah. like it could go belly up. The the company can go bankrupt. The player can just up and leave. But 
You've got to believe and nurture that product um, and that player. And and he's got to feel at home. You have to have the culture and you have to have the confidence to believe um, that your coach can, can keep that guy. um, Even if he might not be playing right away, like he knows his vision and his purpose at that school and he's confident he's going to stay. And when you have a great culture, you're going to stay. And I, I think, with Will's point of view too, is probably a little by because they just lost their head coach. They're losing a couple five stars now because a new head coach is coming in. And that that's what it is. They don't want to be a part of that culture, you know, and I don't think they should be obligated to stay. What I will say with the, and I, with the transfer portal in general, I think the way they had it where there was, there was a year in which a year penalty, um, uh, you know, a decade ago, if, if you transferred, you had to sit out a full year. And that stopped most people from wanting to transfer and trying to make it work at their school. I, I think I, I think it should be more fluid than that. But I, I think it should be a little a little more penal, like suspended a couple games, something along those lines um, to stop this this frenzy of transfer. Because I think a lot of these kids experience is also getting hurt because you build up in one place, um, one, it's it's like you build a loyalty to a place. Um, that's good. And you learn to work hard and, and, and earn your spot. That's also good. But one, you also get, get to show a love for that one school and grow a love for that one school being there for four or five years. Um, you just fall more in love with that school and you play more for the team on the, the name on the front of their jersey than the back. I, I think that's getting lost a little bit. Um, with how much free agency there is and college football. I, I am scared that college football, this is, that's, that's the only reason why I'm throwing out a couple games suspension is just to, to curb transferring a little bit. So we have less of a free agency and college football doesn't turn into the NFL where it's just, it's just professional. You're trying to, every year, you're trying to just get your spot, make your money um, and then move on and, and find the next contract. Um, and you're always working for that next contract. I think, I think the beauty of college football and the beauty of the rivalries and the beauty of why those home games are so awesome um, is because of the love for your for your team. And it, it's it's hard to describe. I, I think you also feel this way, Beal. But there's nothing. Being a college football fan is much different than an NFL football fan. There, there's nothing like it. You just yeah. feel a part of the school. Like you're a part, you feel more, you feel like you're a part of the team. Like you feel like this is like your history. This is everything. And we're, we're crazy, but college, I think college football fans are more fanatical than NFL fans. And I, I think, I, I don't know what it is. The, I don't know if there's a word for it, the aura, the atmosphere, whatever, whatever you want to call it, the magic there's just more of it in college football. And I, and I hope that doesn't get lost because of, because of the transfer portal. I hope so too. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Well, I, we've certainly talked enough about college football. We're going to wrap up today's show with, with a little NFL. Of course, we're going to get to um, Tommy DeVito. Pretty much. We're just going to talk about Tommy DeVito because he is the show. He is the goat. And then we're going to finish today's show with, a nugget of your time, show a little Shohei Otani talk, and then uh, hus, Hustlin' Huskies. 
Um, that's what I'm going to call my segment about, yeah. about the Gross. Huskies. Yeah. I mean, we're hustlers and uh, national champions. So, uh, oh, gosh, the Huskies. Yeah. Um, but for now, let's talk to Vito. I mean, Tyra Taylor's back with the Giants, but DeVito's still starting. Dayball came out and said, DeVito's our guy. We're riding the hot hand, going into Monday night at home against the Packers. Packers, back-to-back wins, Thanksgiving against the Lions. And then they go this Sunday night, and they knock off the Packers at home. I don't think we have a chance in this game. The Packers are finding their stride, and we are just not a good football team. So, Beal, I have the Packers absolutely destroying us, and I think the DeVito magic might have run its course. The DeVito magic is still strong. Oh, it's still strong. Tommy right. DeVito. So you is think better than Jordan Love? Wow. Okay. Okay. Right. I mean, that's not as far fetched as saying DeVito is better than Mahomes or something like that. So, well, he is, but he's also better than Jordan Love. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> All right. So, what well, you can make that argument another day, but you actually think the Giants have a chance to win this football game on monday night yeah you know how bad in recent years the giants have been on primetime in standalone yeah. games okay yeah. i think combined with the jets we've won one game in like 17 tries in the last seven years yeah i'm putting three dollars on us to win <laughs> that's that's where my confidence is all right so so like you're if your normal wager let's say is ten dollars Three dollars is means you're thirty percent confident. No, I'm I'm like, or you're uh, my my normal wager is more like five bucks. Okay, so you're sixty percent there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, All right. Six out of ten. Six out of ten. Six out of ten confidence. I give my confidence in the Giants to win this game. Mm, I'd give it a four out of ten. So I, you know, I think that's a lot higher than I would have said um, a couple weeks ago. But Devito and. Uh, and, you know, it's the sauce that he brings, the Italian sauce that he just brings. Sunday sauce. It, yeah, that's Sunday sauce. But we're playing on Monday. So the you're, Monday sauce. You know, oh, oh, that just that just made me into a 3 out of 10 confident because it is not on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, day wow. after Sunday sauce. Day, <laughs> leftover Sunday sauce. Leftovers. It's leftover sauce. Okay, but if is leftover well, honestly, I leftover kinda, sauce is still good. Yeah, I you don't even need to heat up some of leftover sauce if it's that good. Little dip some bread in it, fresh garlic in there. Yeah, yeah, more yeah. bread in there. Mm. <laughs> oh, Tommy DeVito is all about that. Yeah, now you got me hungry, man. Oh dang, <laughs> I might I might go I I might go heat up some bread after this, but that's that's beside the point. Um, in DeVito, we trust. DeVito Dimes is what I named the last episode, um, and I, I I hope the magic it hasn't run out. I would love to see this carry on through the end of the year. We got a tough schedule coming up, but you never know. You never know, baby, because with Tommy DeVito, we always got a shot. Anything with- can happen. We're not eliminated from the playoffs yet. Yes, you're right. <laughs> The Panthers are the only team technically eliminated, but I, I mean, our heart's telling us we're eliminated. We just have No, nope, mine's not. Okay. Mine's telling me that we're on fire. <laughs> Two games in a row, baby. <laughs> oh, I hope we win this week. I really do. 
I really do. I, I, because that would bring my hope up because then I would start convincing myself we could sneak in as the seven seed and do some damage. Oh, we can. We can do some damage. This night is either going to be like, yes, like loss. And I'm like, yes, the tank is still on. Win. And I'm like, oh, baby, we better not have won this game in vain. Oh, baby, we're going to the playoffs because, uh, gosh, I, we're on prime time Monday night. Eli and Peyton. I'm gonna watch that the Manning cast, and I'm gonna love every second of it, no matter what, because they're gonna talk Devito up, and I, I hope they love. I hope Eli loves him as much as we do. Yeah, I'm. I'm curious to see Eli's opinion of him because if Eli likes him, then I super like Tommy Devito, <laughs> and if he doesn't, then I'm off the main wagon. I, wow, I am a. Eli yeah, believer. You are um, Eli through and through. You he, always have been. Eli is the voice of the Giants. Mm. No matter where he is, no matter where he's sitting, no matter where he is on Sunday when we're playing, he's the voice of the Giants, and mm. I trust him. So if he likes Tommy, I like Tommy. If he hates Tommy, I hate Tommy. Yeah, I was more in love with our pass rush. I was more of a stray hand guy through and through. I just liked the gap in his teeth. I thought it was cool. Um, well, I yeah, thought, I thought it was, it was good tough. too. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens this Monday. I'm looking forward to it. Um, but moving on, uh, I, I'll I'll start off with uh, with hustling Huskies uh, for a minute. In ten minutes, the UConn Huskies get to play against your North Carolina Tar Heels, um, and I mean, I I think it's going to be a great game. It's in the Garden. Uh, number five team in the country, UConn Huskies versus number seven, UNC Tar Heels. Um, both these teams, I mean, UNC, what, they won? No, they didn't win the national championship two years ago, right? They they lost in the finals. They yeah. lost a heartbreaker in the finals, right? Who yeah. they lose to? Kansas. They lost a, right. right, with uh, Oche Agbagi and Christian Braun. Right, 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 right. Um, but these oh, two yeah. – well- at the end of the day, I'm kind of happy about that because Christian is an absolute stud. Yes, for your nuggets. And yeah. I know you want to jump to a nugget in time. But let me finish up with Hustlin' Huskies. The Huskies tonight get back their stud freshman, Stefan Castle, who they, they did not have at Kansas on Friday night. They only lost at Kansas by four points. It was a nail-biter to the end. We were watching the game together. I was at the uh, well. I wasn't at the edge of my seat. I was standing and yelling at the TV like I always do. Um, but I will be like that tonight. And it's number nine UNC, but two top ten teams, two blue blood. Well, I guess UConn's not technically a blue blood yet. I, I they might be at, at some point. They have four national championships. They wear uh, blue. Yeah, they wear blue. But like yeah. when you think blue blood, it's like. It's like Indiana, Kentucky, UNC, and Duke is usually like the four, even though Indiana is not blue. It's just like the history. And, and yep. we have that argument. I think UConn is a blue blood at this point with their history um, and basketball program. But, yeah, I'll, I'll say this. Two two blue bloods. Um, and it's going to be Ray a great – Ray Allen and Kemba. Yeah. It's going to be I a – Rip Hamilton. I mean, respect. come on. Yeah. 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 Andre Drummond. I mean, great, oh, yeah. great players. Great players oh, yeah. to go to UConn. And, uh, yeah, UNC also some great history. And Armando Baycott for UNC is going to lead them in there. I think he's going to come. Armando. I think he's going to come up short to the likes of Cam Spencer and Tristan Newton. I think UConn guards 
will be the difference in this game. And hopefully we can, we can neutralize Baycott's presence underneath. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be a great game. I And uh, yeah, I mean, shout out to ESPN for having this game. I mean, free advertisement there but tune in because it's going to be a it's going to be a barn burner obviously by the time i post this i don't even know why i'm saying this by the time we post this the game's going to be over but tune into the highlights because it's going to be a great game yeah uh, yeah uh, congrats but, to unc for winning <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah we we should do a little fun fun thing you know like loser gets a haircut or something like that you know yeah loser yeah. goes bald Oh God! <laughs> no, 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 no! Lose your, mm, mm. oof! I don't know. I don't know. Loser, loser grows a goatee for December. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, is that worse than going bald? Uh, yeah, no. Okay. Um. Yeah, I don't. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. We will figure it out. I think we went way too far there. We'll go that far if these two teams meet in the final four. Loser doesn't wear socks for a week. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. We both work in. In industrial environments, Bill. you realize that, right? Like that's part of our personal protective equipment. Yeah, it's kind of illegal. <laughs> I like not, it. Not illegal, I, I like but... where your head's at. We're close. Yeah. We're close. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. But right now, the floor is yours for a nugget, a nugget, a nugget of time. Just a cool. nugget of time. Just a nugget of time. So the Nuggets have a. Uh gone on a, a, a little bit of a win streak they had four wins in a row prior to uh saturday's loss against the kings um unfortunately uh our loved uh nikola Jokic was fine two thousand dollars after saturday's game for flopping um bullshit call is just just terrible I, I don't know i didn't look at it but i Jokic never flops he's very um very honest basketball player Never seen him flop in my life. I don't know about you, Gamby, but never seen it. So, yeah, he doesn't flop. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's horseshit. But um, no, the the Nuggets are playing uh, pretty well recently, so I'm happy about that. It sucks that Jamal has gone out again uh, over the last two games. Missed the game against the Suns and the game against the Kings. So. That hurts a lot, but Reggie Jackson obviously has been filling in like a charm. Um, and Jokic was just named uh, Player of the Month once again. So he's leading the NBA in points, rebounds, and assists. Um, by far, best player in the league right now. And uh, I think he will continue being that. And hopefully he's well on his way to his third MVP. So um, I'm liking where the Nuggets are. Um, still... Up there in the top of the West, and I, I don't know. I, I feel pretty confident in this team when watching them. It's just, it's clear that they still got the same um, chemistry they had last year. Obviously, not a lot of people changed, but um, the bench definitely needs to get going a little bit. But I, I feel like it's just kind of a matter of Jamal getting back and Reggie being able to spend more minutes with the bench. But, um, 
but yeah, I, I like where we're at. Um, and again, as I mentioned earlier, Christian Brown is a beast. Um, love him. And he's just a ball of energy. So I want to give him a shout out there. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good to me. You, you know how big of an NBA fan I am. So yeah, that, that all sounds, you could tell me right now, that the bulls were, were good and I would believe you. So, um, I know they're not, um, you could probably tell me any other team's record and I would have no idea if it was right or not. Um, but that's beside the point. Thank you, Beal, for a nugget of your time. That was beautiful. And we'll finish up today's podcast with the winter meetings. They've been pretty quiet so far. Um, the first shoe to drop is probably going to be Shohei Otani. Everybody's been waiting, bated breath. It looks like everybody's been saying the Dodgers, the Angels still have a chance, the San Francisco Giants have a chance. Everybody thinks he's going to the West Coast. And then out of nowhere, I've heard rumblings of the Toronto Blue Jays being big threats to land Shohei Otani. Beal, where do you think he lands? Um, and uh, what do you do? You think there's a bigger? You, obviously, there's not a bigger shoe that's going to drop. He's the biggest free agent there is this offseason. But do you think there's a big move that's going to happen before Shohei makes up his mind? Yeah, I, I do think Yamamoto is going to sign first. It sounds like he's really close. Um, and I've even heard numbers about what he might be worth. Um, it, and I, I know there's some overlap with Shohei and Yamamoto, and probably the team who signs one of them will not be able to get both of them. But I do think um, that one of the teams in the Shohei sweepstakes will probably back out and sign Yamamoto first. Uh, it just, I, I don't know, it feels that way because – feel like that's where you get the best value rather than waiting for the Otani sweepstakes to be over and then you know all the teams that miss out then being there and trying to get a starting pitcher I feel like it's just more opportune to just snag him off the market before um, if he is willing to sign before Shohei does and it sounds like he might get a 300 million dollar plus offer so that's going to be a massive fish uh, probably the biggest fist and fish in any off season outside of this one. Um, and Shohei sounds like he's going to get somewhere around 500 million or uh, I don't know, some crazy number. Um, I do think that the Dodgers and angels will yet again, come down to the end um, in the Otani sweepstakes. Uh, I, I mean, sounds like the Cubs have backed out. Giants are still heavily involved. Um, I think the Mets are still involved, uh, and I, I don't know. There's a few other teams, but to me, I, I when I see Angels and Dodgers involved in a player like this, it's I feel like it's going to come down to one of them. The Angels have obviously been very willing to pay really high salaries, um, as evident by Trout's salary. Um, obviously, the salary to Pujols that we saw when we were younger. Um, and like Rendon's salary, just everybody seems to be getting a crap ton of money who plays for the Angels. And I, I do think to the despair of most of the MOB fans in the league, I think Otani will be going back to the Angels. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, um, the Angels will, and I know they had the same pitch last year, I, I think they will be able to convince Otani to stay as long as Mike Trout is confident in 
you know, the angels ability to build around them too. And as long as you have Mike Trout there, I, I do think that you have a team capable of making it deep in the playoffs. Um, and I, I think that's pretty easy to see as, uh, you know, Otani standing there uh, looking at the other side of those negotiations. Um, and they obviously will need a very good sales pitch, but uh, I, I think, I think they will put that together. And uh, where I think the Dodgers might be lacking a little bit is, um, you know, the, the opportunity for Shohei to be uh, like the absolute through and through best player on the team, biggest name on the team. And I, I know you're probably thinking, well, Mike Trout's on the angels, but it's already evident in the last two years that Otani has kind of, overshadowed trout in a way which i kind of thought was impossible um but it's it's one thing to overshadow one other perennial all-star as opposed to you know freddie freeman mookie betts clayton kershaw all these historic dodger greats and shohei could go down as being the greatest angel baseball player of all time um and i think there's no way that you could even make an argument for any of the Dodgers all time because they've had just such a dispersed amount of talent over the years and in different time periods. And it's so hard to um, figure out who truly is the best Dodger of all time. And I think Shohei obviously would become part of that history, but um, in a way I, I feel like it's almost a better story for him to, to lead this team into the playoffs, this team that's been in like a 10 year long drought and become you know, one of the best players that has ever played for the team alongside one of his good buddies and Mike Trout. So I, I think he will stay there. I, I think obviously I'm going to be upset about it because I want to see Otani in the playoffs and I don't know the angels are there yet. Um, but if he does go back there, I think that they have a really good plan that um, obviously, smart guy like Shohei uh, would have bought into and uh, Trout's no idiot himself. So both these guys, if they decide to stay with the angels, um, it, you know, uh, obviously Otani has way more control over it, uh, but Trout does have the ability to ask for a trade if he wants to, if both these guys decide to stick with the angels in that organization, I think they have a really good plan. And I kind of, I think that's where this is going. Um, it seems like, a lot of the teams that are backing out are, you know, not location uh, preferences for Otani. Um, and it does seem like he really does want to stay on the West Coast. And I, I don't know. I just I feel like it just would be too boring of an offseason for him to go back to or for him to go to the Dodgers like every other big fish in the market. Um, so I, I do think he's going to end up with the Angels. Um, maybe just a gut feeling. But um I don't know. That's where I'm at right now. I feel like he's going to stick with the angels. Yeah. I, I think he wants to, for some reason, I think he's shying away from the limelight. I don't think he wants to be, you know, the, the Dodge, you know, Dodgers, Yankees. I think he's obviously the Yankees aren't in the running, but bigger franchises. I think he's a little bit scared of um, for some reason, uh, but I think he wants to win. He, he, he loves to win. I mean, you saw how much it meant to him for, for Team Japan to win the World Baseball Classic. So I think he's going to the Giants. I think the Giants have, you know, they're the 
I guess the the baby brother to the Dodgers out west, but they have a history of winning with with Posey at the helm yeah. with the team setting around uh, Buster Posey and, and Brandon Crawford and and Bumgarner, um, and with Bruce Bochy as their coach. But I think the Giants have a good franchise um, and a and a good culture over there, um, and I think they could they could sway Otani, and I, I could very much see Otani want to be the star by himself. Um, and leave leave Trout with a with an Angels team that hasn't made the playoffs since he's been there. Um, so I think he wants a fresh start too. So uh, I'm going to go with the Giants as my as my guess. I like um, it. Yeah, yeah. And I I, I, I agree with you, but I, I think uh, maybe the there's a center fielder from from Korea coming over this year who could drop. But I or Yamamoto. Um, but I think the biggest move that'll happen before Shohei is going to be trading Tyler Glass now getting traded from the Rays out to an NL NL team, maybe like the Cardinals or something like that, or the Cubs uh, making a move for Tyler Glass now because the, the Rays can't afford him and he's in the last year of his arbitration. So I think, uh, I think Glass, Rays move. Glass now getting dealt is, is going to happen any, any second now. Yeah, that is inevitable. Well, that does it for us today. As always, enjoy your brunches, your lunners, your sunsets, your sunrises. And we love you all. Thank you for tuning in. Um, Thank you for bearing with us with Will today. I know it was a lot, a lot of college football talk. Um, Hopefully there'll be some MLB moves that we get to talk about next week. Uh, Looking forward to that. Um, And then, I mean, pretty shortly, Beal, before you know it, New Year's going to come around and we're going to be previewing the MLB season again uh, before you know it. Um, But that does it for us today. That sounds awful. Yeah, I know. I I I can wait for more baseball. I didn't mean to skip Christmas over like that. Like, you know, we still got got Christmas on the way. But And also, next week, we're going to talk about what I learned about you this weekend with, with one of your Christmas traditions. We're going we're gonna to debate Christmas yeah. traditions next week. We're going to have a whole segment about Christmas traditions. Oh, boy. I can't wait. I, I, I cannot wait either. Um, I love the holiday season. Um, I just watched my first Christmas movie the other day of the season, Santa Claus with Tim oh, Allen, yeah. the original. Oh, yeah. Great movie. Great movie. Yeah. Um, so I can't wait. But, again, that does it for us. I love you all. Uh, Beal. As always, take us out. Go Jokic, baby. He doesn't flop. Facts.